So, we are in the Sermon on the Mount, which goes from Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And the first 12 of those verses of chapter 5 are known as the Beatitudes. Like I said before, Beatitude comes from the Latin word Beatitudo, which means happiness or blessedness. And you'll notice each verse here begins with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who meek. This is the only case in the English language now where we say the word blessed like blessed for some reason. But really the word means happy, and I think that modern translations still say blessed to sort of pay tribute to our English traditional way of saying it. But really it just means happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn, happy are the meek, and so on. So I want us to zoom out for a minute from this text. Zoom out and just remember that this is all about the kingdom of God. Matthew begins his letter by having John the Baptist on the scene who's baptizing people for repentance and saying the kingdom of God's at hand. And then Jesus comes and gets baptized. His ministry begins And Jesus begins preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. He actually says at times, it has come upon you, like it is here now. And so Matthew, the author, is wanting us to understand that Christ is king of a kingdom, and he came to bring this kingdom. And so now, very early on in his letter in Matthew, he got disciples, and he's gathering large crowds, And he goes up and sits down, which is what a rabbi would do, is they would sit when they were going to teach, and everybody else stands. And now Jesus is teaching the ways of the kingdom. So the Sermon on the Mount is essentially, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. So it's all about the kingdom, and I like to remember that because it reminds us that God really cares about our happiness because the first thing He talks about in the ways of this new kingdom, is happiness. That's the way he begins his Sermon on the Mount, is by talking about happiness. So I want to remind, like I've been reminding you, God wants you to be happy. And the way to happiness is living the way he wants you to live, by these principles. It's not wealth, it's not health, it's not being popular, it's not having a great job, it's not having a wonderful family, it's not having the kind of life where nothing ever goes wrong. None of those things lead to ultimate lasting happiness. Those things come and go. We can get happy in the moment when we find an extra $10 in our pocket and we didn't know we had them and no one knows we're going to go get a coffee with it because it's unbudgeted money. Happiness can happen if our kids do what we say and they're happy about it with no complaining. That can make us happy. There's things that can make us happy that come and go, but nothing that lasts ultimately like living God's way and by His principles. And God wants you to be happy, and so He's showing us how the very first part of His Sermon on the Mount, which is all about living life in the kingdom. So there are eight of these total, and we're on number five today. Blessed, or happy, are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So what is mercy exactly? That's good. Yes, Aiden? That's good. When we're comparing mercy 
And justice and grace, you'll often hear justice is getting what you deserve, mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve, which is fine. What I want to help you do is distinguish between what mercy is and what mercy does. Two different things. You might think mercy is about forgiving somebody. Somebody wronged you and you would be within your right to get them back or to take legal action or whatever, and having mercy on them would be not doing that. You might think that's what mercy is. Or if someone's arrested for a crime and then they're really, really sorry, and the judge knows he's within his right to give a certain sentence, but he gives a much lighter sentence because the guy was sorry. You might consider that mercy. But those are the things that mercy does. Mercy really is all about pity or compassion or understanding. It's when you have pity or concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others, or it's when you really try to understand somebody else, why they are the way they are, why they do what they do. And so when someone's hurtful towards you, instead of just lashing back at them, you maybe understand why it is they lashed out at you in the first place. Maybe you understand how their week went or something going on in their personal life or that sort of thing, and it causes you to not lash out back. And I say this because oftentimes in the Bible, when people are crying out to help, they'll cry out by saying, Lord, have mercy on me. And they're not saying, Lord, forgive me for my sins although they may mean that occasionally, most often what they mean is, God, look upon my situation and have pity on me. Look upon me and have compassion. I'll give you a couple examples of this. Matthew 15, 22, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. See, she wasn't asking for forgiveness. She wasn't asking to not get what she deserved. She was saying, basically, God... Look upon me, my daughter's oppressed by a demon. Please help. Have mercy. Please help. Matthew 17, 15. Lord, have mercy on my son. Why? Because he's going to jail for something he did and he needs to get... No, it's he has seizures and he suffers terribly. Often he falls into the fire and often into the water. So again, you see that mercy here is really about compassion, about looking upon someone's situation and really trying to understand and, and having pity so that you might be moved to help them or you might be moved to forgive them if they've hurt you or you might be moved to not give them what they deserved. So see how... This is what mercy is, and what mercy does is a response to that. And so here Jesus is saying, happy are you when you're merciful, when you have compassion, when you try to understand people, when you have that sense of you see somebody for who they are, for the situation they're in, and that leads you to then do merciful things. What mercy does, you'll be happy if you live that way, and you'll also receive mercy if you live that way. So you have the difference between what mercy is and what mercy does. And I want to give you an example of this. And I feel like I've given this example recently, but honestly, I've forgotten. And I was looking back in my notes when I couldn't find it. So if I gave this recently, it might have been last week when I was jet lagged. So I'm, I apologize. But the example I want to give is of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. Have I mentioned that recently? Is that familiar to anybody? The parable of the unforgiving servant? Maybe I dreamt it. I think you mentioned it like a long time ago. Okay. See, I'm just completely out of it still. So there's a great parable to demonstrate mercy, what mercy is and what mercy does. 
So if you want to turn there, I didn't put all the verses on the slides. We're going to read Matthew 18, verses 23 through 35. I'm going to wait one second because I heard some pages flipping. Matthew 18, starting in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, there's that word pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that, you, all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Okay, so the main message of this parable is pretty obvious, I hope. It's that we should forgive others because God forgave us. In this parable, God is the king. A servant, which is us, owed God a lot of money, owed the master a lot of money, 10000 Another servant owed the first servant much less money, a hundred denarii only. The main idea here is that we sinned against God way more than anybody else sins against us. And so if God can forgive us so great a debt, how dare we not forgive anybody else for the smaller debt against us? That's the main message. We're that first servant we sinned against God. The second servant is somebody who wronged us, and we should be forgiving them. But notice some of the, the verbiage here. In verse 33, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So the reason why the king, the master, forgave the first servant was because of mercy. So he had mercy. What mercy is, compassion. What mercy does, he forgave him the debt. In verse 27, it says, out of pity for him. So his mercy was pity, compassion, looking on this certain situation, not wanting to sell him into slavery, feeling bad for him and saying, okay, I'm going to forgive you the debt. Even though it was within his right to sell off this servant and get the money that was owed to him, he had pity, mercy, forgave him. And so, verse 35, if you don't forgive your brother, again, that's what mercy does, if you're merciful, you will forgive. If you're merciful, you'll have pity. And that's what mercy does. So, how can we have mercy? How can we be merciful? It's not easy, if we're honest, sometimes. It's often hard to have pity on people that are in need. 
it's often hard to sympathize with some people. You know, going across Europe, um, there are so many beggars, and you kind of can't give it all to every one of them. And so you have to be wise about recognizing who's actually in need and who's not. And there are some that are scamming. We saw some scammers that are, they'd walk around acting like really just like they couldn't barely walk and they get some money. Then they're running back to their friends and they're changing the money out and they're swapping their cigarettes. And they're, you know, there's a scam going on. But then there are those that are legitimately in need and you want to have pity on the people that you can really see their life and you can really feel like, okay, I, I can see the struggle. I want to help. And oftentimes the scammers ruin that or make it difficult because then you assume they're all scammers because so many of them are. But it's hard. Or if somebody hurt you badly, and maybe it was even in your childhood and you've lived your whole life and part of your personality is built around that hurt. Maybe you have grown to have certain ways of protecting yourself or certain walls set up that cause you to never feel very close to certain people because of that hurt you had as a, a child, perhaps. Or a friend as an adult that hurt you, or in school as a child, if somebody hurt your feelings. It's sometimes hard to be compassionate, to have mercy. It's not easy. So how do we do this? If we want to be happy, we have to learn how to have mercy, which is learning how to sympathize with others, learning how to understand others, learning how to have compassion and not pride towards them, even when they've hurt us. If we want to be happy, we've got to do this. If we're not happy, maybe we haven't done this. And like I said before, the Beatitudes are progressive. You don't start with being merciful. You don't wake up one day and boom, I'm just merciful. I just understand all things now. I've got compassion on everybody. Remember, it's a process. We began with poor in spirit, and then it was mourning, and then meekness, and then hunger and thirst for righteousness, and then we come to mercy. And so if we think about that in terms of a progression, you might say, at first, we might have been poor in spirit when we saw our sin and how separate from God we were, and that caused us to mourn and repent and feel sorry for our sin, which, bonus, then God can forgive us. Once that happens, then we can become very meek because we recognize all that God saved us from. So it kind of causes us to shed the pride that we had as we recognize the massive debt we were forgiven. The 10000 that we were owed was forgiven, and we, when we feel the weight of that, it's like this meekness comes over, and then we begin to want to be like God. So we're hungering and we're thirsting after righteousness out of gratitude for what He's done for us. And in the process of that, suddenly you find you're being more merciful. And so it is a, prog a process, and it's really all about the gospel, and I would just say this, you can't really be merciful God's way unless you've experienced it yourself. If you haven't experienced God's mercy in your life, then you really can't give it out. And if you're not good at being merciful and you think you're a Christian, perhaps you haven't dwelt long enough on the mercy you've been given by God because that should lead to this. You have to know it before you can give it out. How does mercy result in happiness? Because God wants you to be happy. And you can't truly be happy if you're not compassionate. Now, there are, again, many examples of what mercy does. I'm just going to use two of them now. One example is going to be helping others in need. And one example is going to be forgiving those who've hurt you. Helping others in need 
makes you happy. If you've ever helped somebody, you know this. And I don't care about the philosophers that get into saying, oh, then that's a, a selfish motive. If you're only, only helping somebody else because it makes you happy, that's a selfish motive. Hey, you know what? They got helped and I got happy. What's the problem? You know, helping people, God designed it to make us feel happy because God wants us to be loving and helpful. We're made that way, so don't get caught up in, I shouldn't help them just because it makes me happy because is that the wrong motive? Hey, God wants you to be happy. And if you find that, you're not helping people, that you're closed off, that you're isolated, that you're not in a place where you're ever doing something for anybody else, chances are you're not very happy. Even if you can surround yourself with everything you think you might want in this world and not share it with anybody, you're going to find you wish you had someone to share that with. You wish somebody was part of your life and part of these good things you had. It goes back to that example of like if you're into sports, which I'm not really, if you're into sports... Yeah, you can sit at home and watch TV. You can be the odd one out like my dad liked to watch TV by himself with his headphones on and not share it with anybody. But most guys into sports like to watch it and talk about it and give their opinions about it and compare ideas and cheer when their team wins because you enjoy that, but you want to share it with somebody else. And so if you're not in others' lives helping them in some way, chances are you're not very happy because you were made to want to share the goodness you have with others. And I believe I did quote that last week in 1 John where he says, if you have the world's goods and you don't share them with your brother in need, you don't have the love of God. It's the same idea. So that's one way how being merciful results in happiness. Mercy, compassion, the desire to help others. You see a need, you can meet that need, and you help them, and that makes you happy. But what about when those that have hurt you? When you have had pain in your life that has hurt you greatly, and you carry it, that weight gets heavier and heavier. And maybe you've noticed that, maybe you haven't. I saw that in my dad. Um, with his anger towards his father. And I won't go into details there, but there were reasons why he felt he could not forgive his father, but I feel like it weighed heavier and heavier on him over time. And I've seen that in others as well. It becomes a burden that you can't carry. Unforgiveness is a burden that you can't carry. You were never made to carry it. God didn't design you with the strength to carry around the burden of unforgiveness as if somebody owed you something and you had to carry it your whole life until they could repay it to you. You weren't made to carry that. You can't do it. It, it'll, it will hurt you. It could destroy you. You can become bitter, resentful, and non-trusting. You're not going to have close relationships. If you can't be merciful and so you can't let it go, you're not going to find happiness. And the opposite is also true. If you can let it go, if you can find within yourself the compassion to recognize this person hurt me, maybe it was intentional, but that's honestly, if they are intentionally hurtful, they've got bigger issues to deal with with God, and I pray for them. If you can get there, or you know what, it probably wasn't intentional that they hurt me that way, I probably should just let it go. If you can get there, you're going to be happy. Releasing that burden, letting all that go will make you happy. And I struggle with this, with people who have hurt me in my past. I struggle to let it go. And oftentimes I think I've let it go. And I find later on I'm still kind of dealing with it. And so it's more of like a, a kind of you got to revisit that every so often and 
you think you may have forgiven somebody, but later on you find you're still sort of wrestling with one aspect of it. But when you can just let it go, just it's not my burden to carry, I don't need to carry this. Honestly, what they did to me is so much less than what I did to God, and God forgave me, and He's expecting me to now forgive them. Like, I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to completely just leave it to God, let it go. You'll find you can be really happy. And God might even restore those relationships if you let Him. If you can let that stuff go, you, know, you never know. God might use your forgiveness and your light of God to speak to that person, and God might restore things in a way you couldn't have expected and you'll be happy. So that's at least two ways that being merciful will result in your happiness. So now as we go into communion, we remember what Jesus did for us. We remember how His body was broken for us, the price He paid for our sins, and we can now be restored to God because He had mercy on us. He was within His right to send us all to hell, but He looked upon us. He had compassion. He had love. He had pity. And He sent His Son to die for us. And because of that, we should remember that and be merciful towards others. And as Christians, when we take communion together, we are partaking in the, the bread and the wine, which symbolize the body and the blood. And something spiritual is happening here when we do this. It's not just a memorial meal. We are being united together as one as we, you can, you can start playing, that's fine. You can, you, can, you can know that when we come together to the Lord's table and partake of these elements, that God is uniting us together as a family as we remember Christ and His death and that we are being joined by the Holy Spirit and by faith to Christ, that we are receiving from Him, we are being renewed by Him. It's a very important time we take together. So let's come to the table and take and remember His mercy and leave your burdens at the altar. When you come take the, take the blood and the, and, the, and the body, pick those up and let go of the rest.